Welcome to Creative Writing, where it might get a little weird, but it's always motorcycle related. Your host. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but then they go on to be an asshole? Oh, baby. I don't know, did it wheelie? I can't tell if he's just revving the motor and being a jerkwad. My skin met the asphalt. But these new ki- new ways kit my... All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. The guests. The first bike I ever bought was originally hanging from the rafters in his garage. It's a cafe racer with alloy makes, racing tank and clip-ons and all that jazz. And the thing's beautiful. I just love the way the Norton sounds. The Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Right. So that's where she lives now. Oh, man, bro. I was doing 200 miles an hour and my fingers are coming off the grips. This is in and out of the traffic. Um, I got to wheelie through an intersection on that. <laughs> Rad. Yeah, it was a little unexpected, but I got some applause from the homeless guy at the bus bus bench. That was pretty fun. I think my dad first gave me my first motorcycle, which was a Peewee 80, when I was four years old. And the first thing I did was loop it in the bushes, showing mum how cool it was. Um, but I learned the lesson that if you're going to take something like that off-road and really abuse the hell out of it, it, it doesn't... It's not really roadworthy after that. All season, my bike's been having a problem hopping off the starting line. Like, the back end of the bike will hop real bad, and I'll have to let off the gas and get back in it. And I would go to Jesse's and hang out upstairs in the old building at West Coast Choppers, and he'd let me sit there and just watch him. Yeah, yep. that's, that's creative riding. riding. Sit, sit back, back and enjoy, enjoy the ride. ride. All right, all right. Thank you for the applause. Thank you. Uh... Hey, welcome back. Welcome to another fine episode of Creative Writing. This is episode 48 to be exact. We are coming up on two momentous occasions. One, episode 50, which means I've almost made it a whole year. Well, episode 52 would be weekly, but uh, I didn't put some out for a couple weeks there because I had to buy more hosting. So I think I'm coming up on my year here. So coming up on 50 episodes, coming up on a year anniversary um, I hate saying stuff like that. Year anniversary. It's like when someone says 6 a.m. in the morning, like a.m. is the morning, a one a yearly anniversary. You know, what an idiot. So, hey, at, at any rate, I'm super stoked to be coming up on, like I said, two momentous occasions here. And yeah, I can't wait. So first off, let's get this part out of the way. I'm looking for some super crazy Halloween stories and anything you have, you can submit an audio file to the show. You can submit a story. You can submit it, uh, a link to your website. As long as you're giving us permission to read directly off your website or any blog or anything you have like that. Um, write a letter if you want to, but PM me for the mailing address because, uh, right now it's kind of hard Trash day is on Thursday. If you know, I live behind a dumpster. I record this show by stealing electricity from the donut shop right next door. And so, you know, if there's mail coming when I'm trying to hide in the bushes from the trash guys, it's not really that cool. So at any rate, yeah, PM the show if you want to mail something. Um, email the show at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Um, what else? I mean, that's really, you know, you could also 
Uh, some of listeners have already submitted some stuff via message on the Facebook page. So you could do that, I guess, too, and uh, throw it out there to the Tumblr. So, uh, hey, also Tumblrs. Oh, my God. When re- we hit 800 Tumblrs, we're going to do that soon. Uh, I'm going to have to get a photo. I'm going to do like a special photo or maybe I'll wait till a thousand. I don't know. I'm just excited that we're getting, you know, I used to be excited when it was like one or two a week and now we're getting like five or six a day. So it's just amazing. Thank you guys. I've been looking at all of them. I might do a best of the best. Uh, we'll see. I'll tell you guys which ones I've looked at and which ones I, I appreciate and which ones I think are like porno spammers in case you want to go look at those. And that's another thing I wanted to mention. Thank you for all the support on SoundCloud and all the listens. Uh, Sometimes it does get a little hectic. Just to ask any of the other folks that have podcasts on SoundCloud, I had to yawn. I had shaky old man voice there for a second. Yeah, no, just just ask any of the other podcasters that have shows on SoundCloud. Sometimes it's a little hard to gauge who's real and who's not just because uh, people are trying to sell you fake listeners and all this and that. It's incredible. I know most people that have podcasts don't say it, but it's ridiculous what a lot of those guys have to deal with, myself included, just to get a show out to people. And uh, since they probably aren't going to say it and do a little BTS stuff, I will do it for them. Like, There's a lot of people out there with a lot of great motorcycle podcasts. I think I've mentioned it before that there's even more and more coming online each month. Some kind of fading, but some sticking around. And I know they all have to be going through the same sort of stuff where you're getting offered, you know, get thousand, ten thousand listens. I'm sure they want money. And all they do is like spam you out to unwilling listeners. So anyway, yeah, thanks for all the genuine listens on there. And thank you for all the support from all the new places. I mean, we have so many new places. That's another thing. Are we getting spammed? I I don't know. I wanted to give a big shout out. I forget what episode it was. I I made a joke about there being no listeners in Iowa. This has got to be like 20 some odd episodes, (laughs) episodes ago. And now, well, and then we did. We got one listener from, uh, from Iowa. And I just checked our stats today and Tama, Iowa, or Tama, man, 467 listens from one town. I'm thinking that, you know, I made, after that joke, you know, that was nowhere near Tama. I would have remembered the name. It was like, it was like a two town, two word town name or something. So I would have remembered Tama. That's nice and easy. So either there's like a a whole club of writers or like a whole community that has picked up the show kind of like Wisconsin did. Or all these shows I've been putting out about ethanol and the fuel and EPA and all this stuff, the corn lobby is listening in and they got a hit out on me. So that's another reason why if you uh, if you want to mail something to the show, PM me because I am kind of a sitting duck just hanging out there behind the dumpster all day. And uh, yeah, it'd be real easy to, to do a hit on me if the corn lobby is the ones in, in Iowa that's... Uh, been doing all the listening to the last show. So at any rate, thanks Iowa for all the listens. This is in like the last month. So 467 listens in 30 days. I mean, that's like 10 listens a day plus. So thank you, Tama, Iowa. 
So I'm doing this show from the garage tonight, and I don't know if it's going to be echoey. Um, I don't know. I've got enough stuff here in front of me, but most of it's metallic and fairings and gas tanks and helmets and stuff. So I don't know how the sound's going to bounce off of it, but it really, it's a nice environment to be in. I usually record in like a little office, a little studio sort of thing. But it's really nice to be down here with the bikes and with the tools and, and looking at everything. I don't often do, I've only done a couple of recordings here because of, you know, just things were loud up in the house and whatnot and in the office area. So I've only done a couple shows down here, uh, both of them interviews. So yeah, I'm trying to get the mic and everything set up straight. So if you hear some shuffling around or rustling, I don't know why this box just fell over next to me. There's nothing in here with me. This might be going into my scary episodes story. So, but at any rate, this weekend was very interesting. I did uh, did a ride. I rode down somewhere in Southern California to get some stories for my Halloween show. And it was a horrid, horrid ride. I mean, lots of crazy stuff happened to me. I won't talk about it on this show. You'll have to tune in to the Halloween show, which is going to be going out on the if Friday is the 28th, I believe, then it'll be going out on Friday. So I think that's next Friday. So you'll have to tune in and listen then and see exactly what happened. But I can tell you that it was interesting to say the least. So I might be going out to another location uh, this week to get some more uh, stories and some more audio and a little bit of bike-related hijinks and fun. But right now it's just nice to be in here with the bikes and be recording in my natural environment, I feel. So yeah, at any rate, uh, please remember to send your scary stories in. This is really important to me because I want to hear about your stuff. Even if it's not a hundred percent bike related, I got, I got a couple that I'm going to tell that might not be a hundred percent bike related, but they happen to a biker. So yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, get out into the first thing I wanted to talk about. And this episode is going to be called The Name Game. All right, so I was trying to think of something fun to do with names and motorcycles. And I've been working on this for a little while. I've been taking notes for this for a little while, but uh, just now getting out to it around to putting this down into an episode. Um, We're going to be talking about some names and things later in the episode, but the first thing I want to talk about is I'm kind of going to go back on a hipster kick, a hipster rant kick, if you will. Now, I live right around L.A., which is one of the hipsteriest hipster towns in in America, probably the world, Uh, next to probably France and New York. I'm guessing Brooklyn, New York. Maybe, I don't know about Times Square. They're... But anyways, you get what I'm saying. Like, this is a pretty hipstery town. A lot of hippie parents. I mean, California is just hippieville in general. But uh, a lot of hippy-dippy parents with uh, crazy kid names. And I, I noticed that, like, more hipsters and more hipsters. I don't know. It's almost like their name predetermined them to be hipsters. It's like Shackelford Barnesworth the Third or something like that, right? And they're cruising around on their... Bobber 750 Cafe. Actually, they're cruising around on their Triumph that has knobbies on it, which, okay, I'm okay with. I'm okay with. But at the same time, it's got like no rear fender and a brown seat. 
and like a black X out of electrical tape over the headlight that I'm not cool with. So I thought about a game that we could play or that I could make up about hipsters, a hipster game. It's called the hipster name game. So to find your hipster name, you know, all these kids books and stuff have these really cool things where, hey, go take the first letter of your name, drop down to this list, go over three spaces and pick a type of worm, you know, and it'll be the first your first name. Go for your last name and take this type of vegetable that starts with the first letter of, you know, your last name and drop down three spaces and your name is Wilbur Underpants, you know. So I thought I'd think of a cool game called the hipster name game where it involves your bike and then it involves you and you might even be inclined to grow mustache and wear a houndstooth scarf in the middle of summer or something like that. So let's, let's figure out how this name game works. Cause this could be pretty cool. Um, so I figured for your first name, it's going to depend on how many syllables you have in your name. So your first name, throw it in the trash. Unless you're a hipster, you don't have a cool first hipster name like Farnsworth or Chrysanthemum or Towns or uh, Fister with a P. That's (laughs) P-F-I-E-S-T-E-R, not Fister like. Well, never mind. But at any rate, you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of names like that around here, a lot of Hunters and Kingstons and Prestons and uh, Armistead and I even know a kid named Towns that's I think three or four and named after Towns Van Zant, which is all cool and everything. But come on, man. At any rate, throw that first name away unless you're one of those kids with the hipster first name anyway. If you're if your first name is Drachma, then go go for it, bro. Just you're already a hipster. But if your first name is something regular like Matt or Chris or Jason or Michelle or Lisa or Sarah or Tanya, then this is perfect for you. So take your first name, throw it in the trash. We got that part out of the way? Okay. Your middle name is what's important here. And if your middle name is only one syllable long, like mm, Fred or Bjorn or any other one-syllable name, Matt, you know, and not Matthew, maybe, then you're going to remove the last letter of your middle name if it's a one-syllable name. So I'll tell you what my hipster name will be in a minute. So if if your middle name has two syllables for your your hipster name, get rid of the... uh, last two letters. So let's go back to step one. If your middle name is Fred, your your new hipster name is Fred. You know, if your middle name is Fred, your hipster name is Fred. If your middle name is Chris, your new hipster name is Tre. C-H-R-I. Tre. Or Shre. Or, or you could go by Cre, I guess. But uh, if it's two syllables like Diane or Thomas... You're going to take off the last two syllables. So Thomas is just going to become Tom, I guess. What? This isn't working out quite like I thought. Diane is just going to be Dia. Hmm? How do you like that one? Dia or Dia? Hmm? That's sounding pretty hipster. And Tom, T-H-O-M. I don't know. That's kind of hipster if you don't, 
if it's not T-O-M and T-H-O-M, yeah, T-H-O-M is hipster enough. That's that's good. Uh, oh, let me think of another good one that has two syllables. Um, Rayfield. Then your name is going to be Rayfe. Rayfe, huh? I know somebody whose middle name is Rayfield. Rayfe would be your new middle name. And uh, let me think. Mm, anybody whose middle name is Sarah, their middle name is now going to be Sarah. Ooh, see how hipster this is? And if your middle name has three syllables, I put three cylinders, but that's pretty good. If your middle name has three cylinders, remove the first syllable altogether. So if your first or your middle name is Christopher just remove that first uh, syllable, bro. You're Topher, like Topher Grace. His name is Christopher Grace, the guy that plays Eric on that 70s show or played Eric on that 70s show. Topher Grace, yeah, his name is Christopher, but you take away the first one and now it's Topher, and that's hipster, bro. So maybe your middle name is Shalina. Now it's Elena. Hmm, that's pretty hipster. Maybe your middle name is Jessica. Now it's Essica. How hipster is that? And maybe your middle name is Bartholomew. Hmm, that's four. Let's throw away the first two syllables, Tholomew. Huh? Tholomew, oh my God. This is working out excellently. So now you got it. In order to get your hipster name... If you have one syllable middle name, you know, throw your first name in the trash. If your middle name just has one syllable, toss off that last letter. So Tom would be Ta, you know what I'm saying? Ta. And uh, if you have two syllables or two cylinders in your middle name, take off the last two letters because chances are it'll work out. Uh, If you have three syllables or a three-cylinder middle name, uh, drop the first syllable altogether. And that's how you get your first name. And I think that's working great. Now, the last way to get your last name here is to take your bike's name. Whatever you've named your bike, that's now your last name. And if you are if you haven't named your bike yet, like I don't name my bikes. I think that's ridiculous. Go by the market name. So your name could be Ta Hayabusa. Huh? If your middle name was Tom, Ta Hayabusa. Uh... Michelle Mankiewicz, I know that her middle name isn't obviously Michelle, but if it was, she would be Eshel Hayabusa or Eshel Blue. Huh? Eshel Blue? How hipster is that? I wonder what her middle name is. Um, I know Chris Singsheim, his middle name is Nitrous, and that's uh, two syllables. So we dropped the U.S. off of it. So it would be just Nitro... Jixer or nitro strudge. <laughs> so nitro strackle. <laughs> so and anyway, yeah, what a hipster name is that? So I have a 250 exciter and uh I also have let me see, what if I had oh I had a magna, a V65 Magna. And if you have a bike, if you haven't named your bike yet and your bike doesn't have a model name like you know a V-Strom or a Vulcan or a Vaquero or, you know, all the Harleys. That's no problem. They all got names, but sometimes your bike might just have some letters. Go look in Japan or India or even the UK. So your CBR 600, 
Fireblade, right? Or CBR 900 Fireblade. They call this all the CBRs, I'm pretty sure, Fireblades over there. So if you can't, if, it, if you haven't named it yet and it doesn't have a name per se in this market, just go to another market. I'm, I guarantee you they have different names over there. The GW250, I'm pretty sure is called the uh, Inazuma. Yeah, I think it's called the Inazuma um, in another market. And so, yeah, just, just go to another market. I guarantee that uh, it'll have some good names. And you know what would be what I'm thinking of right now that's even better is scooters because scooters always try to make their stuff sound super Italian just because Lambretta and Vespa, I'm guessing, and and all this great Italian scooter culture. Uh, your your hipster first name and then like some scooter name. Oh my God, it that has got to be like the ultimate hipster name. So if your name is like uh shockwell vino let me know all right shockwell <laughs> i guess your middle name would have had to been like the shockwell you dropped the the fi but yeah phineas that's three syllables right Phineas vino yes that's such a hipster name so anyway yeah so i i had a v65 magna so i guess my hipster name would have been gen magna <laughs> organic cider. Oh, this is awesome. So anyway, yeah, if you, if you do this, I, after this show goes up, cause obviously this is a ride report. I'm recording this like super early before the show goes out. I don't want to throw it on Facebook yet, but on Friday, I'm probably going to put this up and it's going to be so rad seeing all the names trickle in or very sad and like a bunch of crickets. If no one puts their thing, I just might go kill myself then. Um, Yeah. So let's see those hipster names. And if you need the rules, if you didn't catch them, I'll go over them here quick one more time. But I'll also post them up on Facebook on Friday so we can all play this together. I'm so excited to see some of these names. And you know what? Some of the listeners from other countries like Norway and Ireland and Germany and South Korea and stuff like that, unless you're like Americans or English-derived names stationed over there, I'm sure there's going to be some pretty kick-ass names. So... And I wonder if like hipster culture translates into the other cultures. So at any rate, yeah, I'd love to see everybody's names up there. But yeah, so here's the here's the rules real quick for your first name. Throw your actual first name away. Use your middle name for one syllables. Just take off the last letter for two syllables. Take off the last two letters. And for three syllables, get rid of that first syllable for your last name. It's just your bike's name, whatever if you've named your bike or the model of your bike or a scooter name, whatever. So it's awesome. And, uh, yeah, this ought to be pretty rad. All right. So speaking of killing myself and giving up, I wanted to to tell you, I, I really, to tease out this, uh, Halloween episode a little bit, I really want to tell you that I almost wanted to give up on the show after this bite or after this last weekend's ride. And I'll leave it at that because I don't want to give any details away before the Halloween show comes out. But I really thought about passing the show off to someone. And to be honest, uh, I have to tell you, speaking of names and speaking of the name game episode, I am not the original producer. And uh, what's in a name? Well, the original producer, uh, his name was Bruce, but no one would listen to producer Bruce. So after three months of recording with him every night, he'd say, 
Oh yeah, Wesley, you've done really well. Uh, good show. Good night. I'll most likely fire you in the morning. And uh, okay, well, you know, and I was trying to learn producing and all this stuff every night. Yes, yes, Wesley. Good show. Good luck. Good night. I'll most likely fire you in the morning. And after three episodes of this, uh, finally, he said, you know what? I'm not even the real producer. The real producer, his name was Ryan, and he's been uh, in the Bahamas or something like that for three episodes. So nobody wants to hear producer Ryan, and nobody would want to hear producer Bruce. So obviously, you know, my real name is uh, uh, still a mystery and shall remain a mystery because no one should know the name of the producer of this show in case... I myself become rich and famous from the show and turn it over to someone else. So there you go. And uh, so that's what's in the name, baby. That's what's in the name game. But getting back to that, thank you. I almost did come within an inch of handing the show off to someone else and training someone else to do all of this and resigning because this ride, I never thought Halloween would really have such a p- profound effect on the show or on, you know, my cheeky little idea that I had for it. And it really did. And I really, oh my God, uh, you're going to find out about it next week. So don't worry about it. But at the same time, please submit to me your stories of woe and dread because it would really make me feel better at this point about what I'm doing and the fact that I can take your stories and put them out there for other listeners and, and, you know, make something fun out of it. Because I'll tell you what, sometimes running a podcast is not all fun and games like it seems. Does it seem like it's like fun and games? Maybe it doesn't seem like it's fun and games at all, but man, I'll tell you what, after this last week, I really did almost throw throw in the towel. All right. (coughs) I'm choking on fumes here. Partially because I had to do major repair to my, well, I'll I'll, te- I'll tell you about it next week. But let's move on with the rest of the name game episode. John morning. So I forgot that I was going to do the rest of the show in an accent. I forgot the whole name game show. I don't know why I was going to do it in a different accent, but. Uh, I'm just going to have some fun with some names and some accents. So let's do it. Here we go. Well, this part of the name game (laughs) is going to be about the names of components, you know. (laughs) It's a terrible accent. (laughs) My God. All right. Origins. According to the Oxford Dictionary of Common Components on a Motorcycle... Have you ever wondered why the bags on the back of an ADV bike are called panniers, or why the seat where your bitch rides is called a pillion? Well, let's explore the world of language and find out together, shall we? Uh, Okay, well, all of these, nearly all of these exceptional definitions are uh, according to the Oxford Dictionary. Oxford's been making dictionaries uh, for as long as you've been making poopies in your pants and much, much longer, I guarantee. So, the pillion. P-I-L-L-I-O-N. Pillion. 
It was a, a light saddle for a woman, or a saddle or pad placed behind a man's saddle for a woman to ride on. The origin is the 15th century Scottish Gaelic pillian, for a, which was the word for a small cushion. So that's why when you have the uh, pillion seat, it is a, is, it's a cushion behind the main seat. And if you've looked in the Harley-Davidson catalog or any other, uh, I'm guessing, single-seat motorcycle catalog, accessories, of course, you'll find a pillion, and it's usually just a flat, square cushion. Cushion. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to find out how people say cushion in other, in other languages. All right, Pania. Are you loving this accent yet, darling? Pania, P-A-N-N-I-E-R, Pania. Well, it, historically, it's the part of a skirt looped up around the hips. So you can imagine uh, Marie Antoinette's style of dress or a big French formal gown with panniers uh, pulled up from the side and, and hooked, like looped to the hip. And they made these little baskets there. You could have carried a piece of bread in there. Maybe that's why they call them panniers. I don't know. But it says that it was later described uh, to, or later used to describe the baskets put over a beast of burden to carry wood and uh, piles of twigs into town, maybe navel oranges into the village to sell them. Uh, uh, perhaps you were carrying rocks to build your an edifice in which to live. Uh, but then later, as motorcycles and bicycles uh, replaced beasts of burden, the pannier was the basket or box placed over the rear wheel of the cycle. And uh, now every single ADV bike is naked and absent, minus the panniers and usually top box. A carburetor. Carburetor. I'm not going to spell it. You spell it, you cocksucker. In the 18th century, historically in chemistry, a carburet, a carburet or carburet was a, a compound formed by combining carbon with another element. And according to Oxford, in the 19th century, Scientific American used the word carburet as a verb to describe the process of impregnating or combining something with carbon or carbon compounds. And the verb carburet was used commonly to describe enriching an air fuel mixture with hydrocarbons. So you can see how the verb to carburet something eventually described the device that was used to mix uh, air and fuel uh, for combustion in engines, the carburetor. Okay, so to carburet something with a carburetor. You get it now, don't you? That old chestnut carburetor. Mm. The next one is cowl. Cowl. Now, in uh, Welsh, cowl is a soup, but it's uh, spelled a little differently. Maybe I'll switch my accent over to Welsh for you. Well, a cowl is a large loose hood, a monk's hooded habit. So if you think of a cowl as a hood, uh, something that covers the head with an opening for something to stick through, it's like Irish Welsh. This is terrible. Uh, <laughs> God. 
a cowl, a hooded robe worn by monks later used to mean the hood on a chimney or ventilation shaft. Aircraft used it to describe the hood of the opening behind the propeller. An olar propeller, you know, you little bastard. So that's how you get a cowl on a motorcycle. If you think of the front of the motorbike and you take a cowl and you take the headlight out, well, that sort of looks like the opening around an aeroplane. Now, you'll notice a common theme here. Uh, unless it has to do with... Um, well, well, we'll get into this. I noticed a lot of common things here. Uh, a lot of the... Uh, terminology translated over from horse riding, such as the panniers and the pillion, or airplane flying, such as the cowl. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, the, the meat horse was replaced by the iron horse later in the many years. Uh, and also it's been described as riding as sort of like flying. And so there you have it. Uh, I can see how the two get the terminology interchanged with motorcycling very easily. You know, you little bastard. <laughs> you monkey through, you little bad monkey. So the next one on the list is the dog gear. Dog gear or the dog. Now to dog something means to clamp or grip it with mechanical force. You can dog a door shut, as in she dogged the door. She clamped it shut or closed it. Uh, or you can, like, imagine dogging the hatch on a ship, like you're dogging it shut, you're clamping it with the wheel there. And uh, in engineering, a dog is a tool that clamps or blocks, locks, holds, or binds components together. So sometimes it's a tool, sometimes it's, it's a device, and uh, if you think about it, uh, sometimes dogs can be used to clamp two spinning shafts together to, to create or transmit torque. And, and if you think about a motorcycle, the dog ring or the dog clutch or the dog gear, whatever the manufacturer ends up calling it, they're all the same thing. It works on like a motorcycle output shaft or the gear shaft because you've got a, 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 the dogs spin around on the shaft and the gear freewheels, you know. But once you, you hit the shift cam and the fork pushes the dog into the gearing, now it's locked. And now the gear is spinning at the same speed as the dog on the shaft. And it touches another gear which reduces it or increases it and all that shite. Uh, so that's how you get the dog. And apparently the term dog for clamping was used in in mechanical engineering terms, metaphorically like a dog's a mouth clamping around a bone or a tennis ball or the mailman's balls or his leg, you know. So that's a dog, yeah. An axle. Axle! Not axle rose, but an axle. An axle is a rod or a spindle, which is like fixed or floating, that passes through a pair or a group of wheels, and it comes from Middle English for axle tree. Now, axle tree meant a wooden beam or bar that passed between and connected two wheels or perhaps passed through a series or group of wheels to connect them at the ends or hold them together in line. And it comes from the old Norse of Oxeltree. I hope I pronounced it that right. 
oxal tray, which just meant like a wooden bar or beam or something like that, connecting wheels together. So the word gauge is next. Gauge. Gauge. G-A-U-G-E. Not gauge and not gauge. Gauge. Now this word looks French to me and it actually is. It's um, translated from the old northern French jargue or wage, hage. Who knows how French pronounce things? I don't know. But it was wage uh, or gage, jargue. Jauge, however they, they pronounced it in Old Northern French, that was a standard of a measurement, like a, a, a standard unit was a jauge or, or gauge, jauge. And a jauge was the verb to measure. So, translated over into Old English, they just put the G in where the J was and it became gauge and gauger. And gauge meant Gauge was the unit of measurement and gauge was to measure. So there you go, a gauge. And now it can be used to describe an instrument which measures a specific unit of something, even your brain, like I gauged the height of the building in my mind or I was gauging her sense of excitement at watching me drag race in Wisconsin the other day. So... That's a, a gauge can also mean like a, a tool, like a tire pressure gauge, or it can be a verb. Uh, and it can also mean like, you know, I already gave the verb. It can also mean the measurement of like the thickness of a wire or sheet metal or even a gun bore. You know, you got 12 gauge wire, 16 gauge sheet metal and a, and a four gauge shotgun. That would be a really big boy, a four gauge all right, piston. Piston is the next one. And a piston, it also comes from French. You know, it kind of looked French to me as well. It had a funny little mustache and breadcrumbs on its cheek. Uh, so piston, it comes from French. Piston, ne pistone, or piston, which is a variant of the Italian pestone. And it means a large pestle, pestle. In both languages, and you know what a pestle is. If you're a if you're a pharmacist, you probably know it is uh, a pestle. Of course, is like a rod with a skinny end and a fat end, looking like a baseball bat, sort of, or kind of like a piston on a con rod. If you think of like a con rod being fat on one end and skinny on the other, and you use the fat end to grind items into powder. Uh, Native Americans used rocks to grind acorns into dust and grind grain into dust and make it into flour to make bread and tacos. Tacos! And uh, so if you if you think about the fat end going up and down inside a mortar, you're thinking a mortar is, uh, that's like a piston in a cylinder. So you can see how piston and piston became a piston for a, for a motor. Uh, the next one we have is throttle, and this one's interesting. It's from the Middle English for throat, and in Middle English, the O, just like in Welsh, Scottish, Spanish, German, everything else, the O is pronounced O, not A. So probably throttle was actually probably pronounced throttle back in the day, <laughs> back when you were just a wee wink in your, in your mum and dad's great-great-grandmother's eyes. 14,000 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I 
All right. To throttle someone meant to strangle or choke them by the throat. And so it was actually probably pronounced throttle. So throttle, the noun, probably meant, you know, that was your throat. And to throttle somebody later actually meant to choke them by the throat. So if you're thinking of the term throat, uh, that's probably where we got the the name thro- the throttle body, you know, the throttle body uh, or the carburetor. That's probably why we call the throttle body instead of calling it a carburetor, because even though it does mix the gas and air together still, has a little bit different function than the carburetor, because the carburetor used to introduce the fuel. Now the throttle body has the fuel injector, so it still is the throat, so it's the throttle part of the carburetor. And on carburetors, that's probably why we call that like Venturi piece, the throat. You know, it is because it's coming from the Middle English throttle and uh, or throttle, as they probably said. And uh, actually, the carb throat is like the passage for air, just like your mouth throat passes your air and your food. So think of your food as your gas, your Exhaust comes out your ass, right? That's a nice little verb, a a little rhyme you can take to school tomorrow. So the verb for throttle, which meant to choke someone by the throat, is probably how we got the term to choke. Choke the carb, right? Or choke the throttle body. Okay, okay. I think we we get it. Let's move on to the last one, which is the most fun one in my opinion. Opinion. It's uh, the word nipple. Nipple. Now, a nipple generically is a structure from which fluid emanates. So your booby can have a nipple on it, right? Whether you're a man or a woman, I guess men's boob nipples are vestigial, sort of. They don't really work as far as I've seen. Uh, But uh, you can also call a nipple on a bottle because fluid comes out of it. You can have a nipple on a tap, I guess, of some sort. Or... You can have a threaded fitting which resembles the fluid nipple, only it passes, it could pass fluid still, but it could also pass air, or it could just be like a mechanical nipple, like you find on a spoked wheel. And that's why I brought nipple up, because you don't really have nipples on valve stems. We just call them valve stems, even though it's technically a nipple, it's passing, it's passing something through it, uh, air into your tire or your air shock, or your air fork. But uh, a standard threaded nipple is the one I'm thinking of because uh, it it has how your spokes get held onto your, your rim. All right, well, this has been uh, Welsh Naming Conventions with me, your host, Caradog and Hangarad van Soid Sanvair Pushkwengish. And that's just my first name. And I'll talk to you later about uh, other words. And sorry, I started off with like a sort of Irish and English accent. And I'm ending with sort of like an Irish, Scottish, Welsh accent. I don't know. This just sort of worked out that way. And I totally forgot I was going to speak the whole. Now I'm going into like (laughs) some sort of Nordic, like Viking. So anyway, I forgot I was going to... say the whole show in like a different accent in every segment so I can't wait to see what I come up with next I hope you can tolerate it (laughs) get in my belly (laughs) alrighty well that was sure fun wasn't it partner hey listen up (laughs) 
This is a terrible idea, I think, to talk in a different accent uh, for every single segment, but I'm sticking to it now. I guess the first segment, y'all, is lucky because it was my regular accent, my dumbass accent, you know, from Dumanistan. Yeah, yeah. Zing. All right, well, hey, in this next segment, I'd like to talk about a couple things, and we're going to skip the name game for right now. We'll get back to that, but the name of this game is going to be Riding Safety, y'all little stinkers. Ready to hear a little uh, little nugget of advice? I heard someone talking the other day on a radio show about riding, and they're part of the uh, U.S. of A., which is like right central, I believe, you know, like central in the mountains and all that good stuff. And they're talking about why the deer is coming out this time of year and leaves falling all on the ground from then deciduous trees. Now, we got them in... We got some of them in California, but we ain't got them pretty ones like y'all got up in... Vermont, New Hampshire, and all over them places where y'all get water falling from the sky. I forget what that stuff's called, but out here, we don't get no sky water. We don't get no deer, but I'll tell you what, little partner, where you do, you're going to have some fallen leaves and wet ground and thunderstorms and deer. Now, I don't know a lot. I know a lot to motorcyclists that hunt. I mean, I know a lot of people that lives in the South that kind of hunt, you know what I mean? Yeah, wink, wink. But even if you don't hunt, this time of year is important if you live in a rural part of the U.S. of A, baby. And why is that? And this little bozo, I'm sure he's been seeing all sorts of different types of deer in the world. He lives in the part of the country where wildlife is abundant, man. And especially all sorts of ruminants, which I believe is what a deer is, you know, an elk and all that stuff. Uh... Ruminant is something that's got a lot of room in its stomach. You know what I'm saying? I think they, a ruminant can usually have like 25 stomachs and a bunch of horns and hooves and all this great shit. So, all right. Well, at any rate, he didn't know why all them deer's coming out and he's seeing more deer. I'm going to tell you right now, buddy. I hope you're listening to this show. It's called The Rut, my friend. You know what I'm saying? The rut is what uh, American male experiences here out on prom night. You know, there's a reason why they call a a bunch of dudes together a stag party. I call it sausage fest, but hell, stag party. You know, you know what I mean? Stag party. Well, the rut, my friend, is what we call in November-ish, you know, right around this time of year, October, November, uh, a breeding season, man. Why do you think they got all them, why do you think Bambi took place in the spring? You think them Hollywood types... Well, they usually don't know crap. They usually just make a bunch of shit up based on, based loosely on fact. But they they got Bambi right where he was born in the springtime. Hell, that's because all them ruminants is out there doing it. You know what I mean? They're goers right around this time of year, buddy. That's why you're seeing a bunch of deers out on the road. So listen to me, friends. If you live somewhere where the roads are twisty and the leaves are dropping over the roads and everything's all beautiful and sweet... Don't wipe out on a deer or an elk or a moose if you're, you know, that far north and everything, or an antelope even. Now, this is the rut time for many deer species, and uh, they're going to be out there. All them bucks is going to be chasing them girls all around. Woohoo! You know what I mean? It's like This is like prom for deer is what it is. Uh, the promenade, if you will. So, yeah, they're out there chasing girls around. That's why there's a whole bunch of deers running here and there, and the girls is like, hey, no. Just like, you know, I hate to turn this into a Jex, Jex, a Jex Waxworthy 
a skit, but you know what? Cause I don't really like his comedy, but uh, I'm going to be old Jack Swaxworthy right now and tell you that, you know what I mean? Them deers, they're running all over. Now, what makes this a particularly dangerous type of year, time of year, and type of year? This whole year is this type of year is dangerous, damn it. This type of year has got to stop. So uh, this time of year is particularly dangerous because with all them deers running out, you know, and all the leaves being on the ground and everything, it's a double whammo for motorcyclists, baby, because if you don't get wiped out by a deer, maybe you see one and you put your brakes on, and you're just about to avoid it. But, oh, my God, you're on some wet leaves. Now, we see wet leaves in car commercials all the time or piles of leaves. And they're like flying down a nice country lane and the leaves are flying and there's all sorts of stuff raining down out of the trees on them in a very cinematic and emotionally provocative way to get you to want to buy that sedan. But I'm going to tell you what, for motorcycles, uh-huh, you know what I mean? That is terrible news because... Leaves on the ground means no traction, man. What is the contact patch between your motorcycle and the ground? Did you know that it's like a credit card or less? Could be like a number two pencil if your tires are like domed and inflated too high. So imagine this. Now your little credit card sized patch traction is uh, covered up because you're just on some leaves. You're not even touching the pavement no more. So what's going to happen when you slam on the brakes and go to turn to avoid Mr. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and uh, you go sliding out off into the culvert, you know what I'm saying, or into a tree or into a cactus or a bramble bush, huh? You going to like that one very much? I didn't think so. And especially if you're on a big-ass cruiser or something that's going to pin your ass underneath it, hell... You'd have a better chance jumping off your bike, landing on the deer's back, holding onto the horns. Hopefully, if it's a, if it's a buck, you know what I'm saying. Especially a mule deer, them them's kind of bigger, and you can get a better grip on the antlers there, and uh, ride that thing off. You know what I mean? Like, and then when your wife opens the garage and there's a mule deer standing in there, and you're like, I had to ride it home because it crashed my other bike. And you put a tag on its ass that says, "My other bike used to be a VTX." Well. I think I'm I think I've kind of gone down the banana path with this story. You know what I mean? The old banana path. But at any rate, you get what I'm saying. Look out for deers because they're out there at this time of year. That's why you're seeing a more Mr. Radio personality, Mr. Fancy Pants who don't know nothing about the deer love dance. Yeah, that's you. I'm talking to you. You know who you are. And uh but yeah, anybody, deers is out right now because it's the rut, okay? I say you know the rut. That's here at the Plow Plow house every every Saturday night. Uh, what if my last name was Plow Plow? That'd be kind of funny. At the, uh, what I say my name was, Blocksworthy. I'm Bleff Blocksworthy. <laughs> All right. And the other thing is, of course, the wet leaves. Yeah. Don't ride over wet leaves and don't try to get no pictures of yourself. I mean, be careful if you're out there watching the, the colors change. It is an incredibly beautiful time to ride through the hills, through the dales, and over all the crusty trails. But if those trails was covered by leaves, baby, your traction is going to be diminished, especially if they're wet. Then you might as well just be riding on ghost boogers because it's going to be a slippery ride. All right. I think uh, old Gleps Blockburly is going to get out of here and leave you all with this little chestnut. You know what I mean? This little that go down the banana path of life safely if you can. And always wear your helmet. Hi, 
This is my LA PA, which is production assistant accent. And I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't already, please submit a story to our ghost story for the next episode that's going to be coming out. It is going to be Halloween. It's going to be Fabo, unless you don't submit anything. And then you're just a jerk. You're like totally inconsiderate of our feelings. And that is not going to help the show get produced. And as a production assistant, it's my duty to help get the stories out. So please email them to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can even submit them via private message on the Facebook page or heck, even Tumblr or something. And even send us an audio clip. It'll be great. Just do it or our next episode is going to suck and it's going to be probably your fault. Bye. Hi, it's me. This is my ghost accent. I know ghosts might have a weird accent, but hear me out. Guess what's happening this weekend? In Los Angeles. You got that right. It's going to be the Hell on Wheels Halloween Hill Climb. It's going on at Glen Helen where it always is. It's going to be so much fun. Also this weekend, the Red Bull Straight Rhythm Section happening at Pomona going to be so much fun. I just saw an interesting advertisement for it on LA Today. I mean, I'm sorry, Do LA. That's like an event company that does promotions around here. And for them to advertise the Red Bull Straight Rhythm is amazing. Um, so hey, guess what already happened? The Cretans Motorcycle Club Dia de los Muertos Halloween Party. But don't worry. There's more fun Halloween stuff coming up. All you got to do is be alert and pay attention. It's my favorite time of year. There's something already happening this weekend. It's called Babes Ride Out 4. We have our friend from episode 20. Oh no, we forgot her episode 22. Something like that. She's at Babes Ride Out 4 right now. Hey, also on the 22nd, SoCal Moto opening. The fall open house and Moto Guzzi grand opening at Southern California Motorcycle. Why did the race of gentlemen open? I'm trying to find out something else. Oh no. Here we go. It's SoCal Motorcycles, fall open house, and Moto Guzzi grand opening. 515 West Lambert Road in Brea, California. Saturday from 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's a full day. You better get lunch and overtime if you're working. Also, 
On the 23rd, if you don't make it to the Hell on Wheels Hill Climb out at the Glen Helen Raceway in Riverside, you can go to the SoCal Swap Meet at Veteran Stadium in Long Beach. On the 29th of October, there's something called the Hooligan Hoedown going on in Pozo, California. Pozo was not a Led Zeppelin album, by the way, and it was not a clown. On the 29th of October, the L.A. Ride for Kids supports the PBTF, which is the Ptarmigan Bird Throwing Foundation. Lots of people don't know the Ptarmigans. begins with the P. It's a silent P. Oh, God, I feel terrible. That's not what it stands for at all. Eh, I'm starting to think that PBTF doesn't not stand for the Ptarmigan Bird Throwing Foundation. I'm feeling pretty shitty about what I just said. Uh, I don't see what it stands for. Oh, the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. Oh, my God. I was way off with that one, but gotta forgive me, I'm a ghost. Or actually, this is my ghost accent. Um, one more thing I wanted to tell you that I noticed, and that's the Esquire Network is coming out with a new show that features two of Los Angeles counties. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe they're in Orange County. But uh, two of Southern California's wickedest builders. That's right. If you go to tv.esquire.com, and for those of you that don't know how to spell Esquire, it's not an S with a K-W-I-R-E afterwards. It's E-S-Q-U-I-R-E. I know it looks like a squee-ray. So for you idiots, go to TV. Dot .esquire.com but for everybody else go to tv.esquire.com and if you really want the full rundown it's forward slash shows forward slash rents against the machine yes rents against the machine is going to be the new series premiering November 15th at 9 8 central and it's going to feature Roland Sands and Wooly, who I told you was just on the Pit Pass Moto Weekly radio show in Des Moines, Iowa. And he was uh, one of the builders for Deus. He is a builder for Deus still. But it says some of the most prestigious bike builders in the country are putting their reputations on the line. They call it an ultimate test of creativity, but coming up with a ghost accent seems like a much more furtive creative test of creativity, if you ask me. And I don't even know what furtive means, so there. All right, well, that about wraps it up, because I'm not going to get too far into the future. We could just keep going way off into November and December and... All these times when you poor suckers don't get to ride. By then, the Mama Tried show will probably be happening again, and there'll be some other fun stuff 
for me to tell you about. But that's about what's going on here in L.A. Would you like to hear about what's happening in some other parts of the country and maybe even the world? Okay, let this ghost give it to you straight. Remember when I told you that I was in Arkansas and I was staying in the woods down from the CMA campground? Well, from October 19th to the 23rd, the CMA Changing of the Colors Rally is happening in the little town of Hatfield, Arkansas. I went to high school there briefly. Yeah, they go to see the changing of the colors, and they're not changing the colors of the club. They're looking at the changing of the tree colors. From 1020 to 1022 in Sparks, Oklahoma, is the Sparks Halloween Biker Bash. Go bash a biker in Sparks. Don't bash a biker in Sparks. And um, I brag about the Long Beach Biker Swap Meet all the time, but in Norman, Oklahoma, from 1020 to 1022 is the Norman Swap Meet. That's three days, the 20th, the 21st, and 22nd. Long Beach is only once a month. But what the hell? So at any any rate, most of the racing has been wrapped up for the year. If you don't know, and we don't really follow MotoGP, but we heard that Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo crashed out handing Marquez an early win for that series. So if you don't want to stick around and watch Nikki Hayden fill in for an ailing Danny Pedroza, you can always watch the Works Round 10. And Works stands for the World Off-Road Championship Series. Well, off-road, yeah, that's what it stands for. That's happening in Prim, Nevada this weekend. It's going to be very fun. And in Brownfield, Texas, if you missed the L.A. Cretans Motorcycle Club Dia de los Muertos Halloween party, you can catch a Dia de los Muertos bike bash. That's Brownfield, Texas. The town's pretty small, so you should be able to find it pretty easy. And while I'm talking about stuff that happened, uh, I want to ask, does anybody know what happened in Temecula, last weekend, 15th and 16th, I saw a hell of a lot of motorcycles, and I couldn't figure out where they were going. They kind of figure into my ghostly Halloween story for next week, so stick around, and since I'm a ghost, I really know how to deliver a ghost story. I think it's probably time that I should... Get rid of this accent, because I'm not sure how many people are going to be able to stick around and hang with a ghost accent for many more minutes. They're probably terrified and pooping in themselves right now. Okay, welcome back to the show. This is my baby accent. <laughs> Dude, there's no way I couldn't even 
handle doing that. So I'm done with the accents, guys. It's it'll be time to wrap up before you know it. And you're going to be I'm going to be kicking myself and you're probably going to be kicking yourself for having listened this far. But yeah, if you need accents done and you'd like a recording on your voicemail or something for your phone, hit the show up. I'll do it. Whatever. Who cares, right? Yeah, so hit us up anyway. If you like accents and you like uh, a crappy host (laughs) doing some crappy accents, check us out on iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher, the Google Play Store. Don't look for us in Stitcher. We're not there. But we are in several thousand other places that you can find podcasts. But iTunes, SoundCloud, those are the two main ones. Google Play Store, I know for sure. Always check out our site at www.creativewriting. Oh, oh www.creative-writing, not not writing, writing.com. Or creative-writing.tumblr.com. Or facebook.com forward slash creative writing podcast. Or at creative writing podcast at Facebook. And if you need to check us out on the tweets, on the twits, on the, tw- the twats, Go to at creative underscore writer and you'll find uh, some of our tweets there. And uh, as always, check out the friends of the show. I did want to say that I got some interesting news that Johnny J and the Flatfoot Flugees put out. I am super proud of them. They uh, put out their first full length album uh, recorded on live reel to reel. Let's listen to a little bit of some of their songs here. I held up the tides on Monday so I could show the boys next door. Oh, that's pretty good. So it says all pre-orders will ship November 25th, 2016. Um, you can order at Black House Inc. I-N-C, not I-N-K. BlackHouseInc.StoreNVY.com blackhouseinc.storeenvy.com and I'll put that in the show notes so that you guys can get that they have a total of 500 copies pressed 400 of these available via direct mail and so they got a black vinyl with a double mint splatter a baby pink vinyl with metallic gold splatter or an oxblood vinyl so that sounds pretty rad if you like, if you have an old uh, turntable like yours truly uh, go get uh you know, pick one of these up. They got little, uh, I'm going to see if I can put this in the show notes or at least up on our Facebook page, but, uh, check out www.johnnyjswing.com or blackhouserecordsinc.com. That's where you'll find information about that. And I'll put a link to their order, uh, their order URL up in the show notes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Let's have them play us out real quick. And yeah, I said quick, not quick. I'm trying to make up new names. That brings us to the conclusion of the name game episode. I thought it was our turn for bikers to develop their own language, our own names. Hell, I've given us an opportunity to make up our own hipster names and uh, cast off the names that our parents and families and society have been calling us for the last few years and make up our own based on the motorcycles that we love and the names that our loving parents tried to give us. And, you know, then I threw out the names of some components that we use and why do, where did those names even come from? Why do we call them that? We, we just 
we call him that because that's what we heard him called. And hey, there's the etymology of him right there. So as language is always evolving, I think I've probably talked about this before. I think it's about time that bikers get their own language. And if you want to do something and uh, do something quickly, hey, why don't you just say it? Just say quick. Uh, I think Conan O'Brien did society one of the largest, largest favors a long time ago by trying to make the word crunk stick. And unfortunately, I don't think it really stuck that well. But if you think of the English language, um, which is what I'm speaking in right now, supposedly, and uh, I'm, I don't speak uh, many of the languages from the places that I see that are subscribing to us in SoundCloud, so I, I'm guessing that uh, most of those people speak English as well. And the word England or Engle English comes from the word Angle, right? The Anglos. And the Angles or the Angle, Anglos, I guess, were like the Danes or the Thanes. They were like these old Nordic tribes that, um, you know, I've read the original Beowulf and, and reading old English really kind of comes off and sounds a little bit more like some sort of, uh, Swedish or definitely Nordic language, Norse language. Um, you know, it's definitely got more of a, a feel like that than it does of what we consider English today. And we are always, always evolving. Things don't even mean the same thing they meant like 15 years ago. You know, if you say someone was lit 15 years ago, you'd mean they were like drunk. And now it means that they're like cool. But that would have been like saying someone was off the chain 15 years ago. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's interesting the way stuff changes and not just the meaning of words, but the sounds of words, the, uh, you know, the things that we say, the way we write, text speak. I remember when everyone was freaking out from um, Ebonics and text speak because they were threatening English, you know, and all this and that. But what we have to what we have to do is go back a thousand years ago and look at some old English, and when we can't even understand a lick of what it says, we have to realize that hey, those guys didn't complain when we started talking the way that we're talking now. So really. We shouldn't be worried too much about the future of our own language, except for the fact that we should be the masters of our own destiny and craft that language based on the thing that we love. And what we love is motorcycles. We love motorcycles, motorcycle art, motorcycle design, motorcycle racing. And just about the only word that I can think of off the top of my head that is universally motorcycle only is the word brap. I can't think of any other... I mean, some people might use it in general desert terms, as in like dune buggy and uh, quad, maybe stuff like that. But if you think about it, brap is pretty specific to motorcycles, even if you might use it for like a desert vehicle. You know, it really, a lot of desert vehicles nowadays don't sound like brap. They they sound like bra, you know, V8 or something in it. And uh, so brap is one of the only words that I could think of that's, super motorcycle centric and you know has translated over like you know I was trying to think of panniers and pillions that stuff all came from equestrian which basically was the meat horse before the iron horse took over and I really can't think of any other words so my my goal for this episode my giveaway if you will is that as to unite ourselves you know we all we all have the little wave that we do to other bikers we all look at a at someone and see their worn out left shoe and uh, maybe their 
tan line on their face and we realize that they're bikers from their the shift lever wearing out their boot or their shoe or and the the riding goggles on their face or something like that or you know there's there's certain things when you see somebody maybe even the way they hold their hands or arms or make a gesture that you realize that they're a biker so and and definitely if you shop at the harley davidson store you know what a biker looks like or anybody that shops at leather bowl and gets ripped off like i did uh go to hot leathers instead go to hot leathers uh, give them your business but anyways yeah so there's a certain way you dress that people assume you're a biker even if you're not so i mean you've always got that um but what about the speak and that's really the only thing i could think of because even uh brap is like really might be specific to um, dirt bikes, but if you say brap, a lot of people know what you're talking about. It could mean supermoto, it could be doing a wheelie, even Harley's doing a wheelie kind of sound like brap. A lot of people say potato, 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 but when I was into hot rods, people used to say that, oh yeah, his old, you know, his Malibu with the 454 dropped in it says potato, 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 or rib, 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 you know, all these food jokes that fat old hot rod guys make. But at the same time, Brap. I mean, it's so motorcycle. There's nothing else that uh, you can say that doesn't speak motorcycle to somebody than saying brap. If you go to Stock versus Square's YouTube page, they even have the pursuit of brappiness or bra penis, whatever the subtitles want to tell you. But at any rate, I, I want to I want to make up some cool words, and I just can't think of any. You know what I mean? I can't really think of any cool stuff that you could say. I guess stoppy. I mean. Because on a bicycle, it's an endo, and cars can't do them unless you're in like a front-wheel drive car with like some massive brakes on it and nothing in the back, like maybe an an old, old Austin Mini before BMW bought them out. You might have been able to do a, quote, stoppy on those, but I guess stoppy is another word because even a car can wheelie, bicycles can wheelie, motorcycles wheelie, but stoppies is pretty motorcycle-centric. So I'm going to say brap and stoppies. Those are the only two words I can think of that uh, play in the name game here that bring out, that evoke, you know, motorcycling to me. So if you have any more that you can think of, please let me know. And uh, please share them with us so that we can kind of create a glossary here. I was going to stick it up on my uh, webpage at www.creative-writing.com. And uh, once I started to write the article, I started to write it like two or three weeks ago, and I kind of stopped because I was going to jokingly start writing this glossary of stuff, you know, that of, you know, kind of like the words we use and this and that. And then I, I really couldn't think of any besides brap. So it had me stuck. I couldn't even finish my article because I was literally at a loss for words because I don't know what those words are. So you tell me, you tell me if you got some words that you can think of, or maybe we can come together and I can quickly jot them down and uh, put them in my article and throw it up and we can all laugh and make fun of it. So I might try to just make up a few crappy ones um, like plumper, which is a a fat thumper, like a thumper over like 500 cc's or something like that. But um you know, that's getting kind of close to blump, blumpy or blumpkin, which is getting a BJ while you're taking a poop, you know? So, I mean, I don't know, these, these kind of cross, you know what I mean? So it's just really interesting and we need to figure out, we need to get like a biker glossary together and it can't just be like, you know, it can't be stupid stuff. All right, guys, come on. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Coming from a guy who just spoke in a quote ghost accent. Don't be stupid. Okay. 
All right. Well, now it's time to wrap up the show and uh, give you my tech tip for the week, my DIY tip for the week. My tech tip is to talk like a ghost whenever you can. <laughs> Actually, my, my DIY tech tip for this week is has to do with paint prep. I know a lot of people out there, did I already do this one? I better double check and see if I already did this one, huh? I'm going to assume I didn't do this one. I was going to do this one last week, and then I like totally went off on this tangent, like train of thought, surprise, surprise, of uh, recycle, reuse, and all that stuff. I had intended to do this one last week, and so that train of thought took me down another path, and I didn't get to it, and I swore I was going to write these down and put them on the site every, and then keep updating it so you could have like a little tech guide and you know when I find time I've been busy writing letters to Santa trying to convince him that I have been a good boy this year and uh, you know doing some other crazy stuff like being a parent to two wild and rambunctious children and trying to keep your bike on the road and do the show so I've had it's been a little bit busy but you know I will get some free time here and um, so yeah I I should write these down, right? Because then I won't wonder if I've done it before. But I'm going to give it to you this week. Otherwise, every single week is going to be the same tech tip. I'd be like, Did I do this already? So this week's tech tip goes to some paint prep, okay? And I guess any sort of finish prep or something like that. And it's going to be for, uh, well, I don't know about painted plastics, like dirt bike plastics and stuff like that, because I don't think paint will really adhere to those very well. I've never tried to paint plastics, but usually it doesn't adhere because paint kind of etches, you know, your, your primer etches into the metal and the paint sticks to that. So here's the deal. When you're doing body work on something, primarily metal, uh, go ahead. You can even paint chrome if you scuff it well enough and, and uh, prep it well enough. And prepping, as you know, is like the most important part. If you're a painter, you know, I I did this paint by Smokey, who, do, who is like a huge part of the Ivy Lee flat track. Uh, it showed one of his videos, uh, prepping a helmet. And I, I commented on it and shared it on our page. You're gonna have to go down through the feed to find it. But the prep on that freaking thing took forever. And to make a good paint job come out, prep is like 99% of the job. I mean, that's what goes into getting the surface glassy and making it come out nice and making it so that you don't have to do as much finish work in the end. And also, if you've got a design in it, prep is like half of that, like laying out the design, taping it off right so that you get the right layers to match up so that you don't have like uh, ridges in the paint afterwards and you don't have to spray 3,000 coats of clear coat and then your helmet or whatever you're painting, your fuel tank or whatever, is a, a whole half inch thicker or taller than it used to be because there's 437 coats of clear on it to get everything to lay down flat. Yeah, it's called prep and it takes a long time to do. Now, here's a simple tip. This is just like a basic tip. When you're sanding stuff, if you're going to be painting it, especially, and if you're not taking it down to bare metal, and even if you are taking it down to bare metal, you can start off with something rough to get the paint off or get the paint down. But when you start getting down to that fine layer and after if you've done some, you know, maybe some Bondo work on a metal tank, you know, just some super, super thin. It should not be very thick. It should be super 
fine bondo work, like just a couple mils thick, right? Uh, you know, anything more than that, it's still a dent that you could work out. So if you got if you got it down and you're getting to the nitty grit and you're going to be spraying primer on it and stuff, when you're prepping that, make sure you're sanding stuff with a little pad or something and don't use just your hand because otherwise you're going to see, if you use your whole hand, you're going to see five lines on whatever surface you're prepping because <laughs> your fingers put more pressure down than the space in between them. And even if you have your hands closed, you'll see five close lines on the tank or four if you're just using your fingers and not your thumb. What you need to do is you need to have some sort of soft pad. They make like sponges. They make, I have these things that look like tacos that are uh, like the Velcro loop, you know, and you hook the sandpaper to it. They also make tacos uh, that don't have that, that are just, uh, you know, for adhesive sandpapers. Or get a pad if you're sanding something uh, hard and long like a ooh, like a dildo. No, if you're sanding something like hard, uh, long like a door panel or something like that, you can use a block, you know, use a sanding block. Um, you can even use a flexible block if there's a slight bend to it, which most sheet metal has a bend because if it was straight, it'd just be wavy. So they put like a bend in it because that gives it a little bit of, if you think of like a bridge, like a over, a, it doesn't go straight. Usually it arcs just a little bit, gives it rigidity and strength. So you're going to need a flexible block to sand that stuff. So whatever you got it on, make sure you're not using your hand, first of all. That's tip number one. Tip number two is when you're sanding, don't just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because what that's going to do is leave little lines. You know why we know where glaciers went? Because they go back and forth. They recede and then they grow and then they recede and then they grow back and forth and you can see the striations in the rock. That's going to happen to the surface that you're painting and it's going to look like crap when you're done. What you need to do is go diagonally, you know, top to bottom, let's say moving left to right, and then don't turn your block, your pad, your sponge, whatever you're sanding with, don't move it. Keep it oriented the same way, but now just go diagonally the other way. So there you're sanding in like an X pattern. Do it all one way first, you know, going, making the, the right leg of the X maybe. And do your whole part like that. And then without changing the orientation of the block or whatever it is, do the left leg of the X, okay? So go all one way first and then the other way. And think about like being an illustrator. If you're an illustrator or a graphic artist or something like that or a printmaker, you already know what this is called. It, it's basically cross-hatching. And that's basically what you're doing with sandpaper to get that down level and to get it smooth because you're going one way and then the other. You're not going around in circles because that'll leave weird marks. And you're not only going in one direction because that'll look like you combed. You know, basically sandpaper is kind of like a microscopic comb and it'll just look like you're combing your paint. So yeah, you need to go back and forth in an X pattern. You can do it like a star, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers pattern, as long as you're going opposing ways and not changing the orientation of that block because you want it to sand evenly and flatly, okay? And that'll give you a nice smooth surface. And then the other thing is, my friend did this. We prepped his car. He had a really nice twin turbo. I welded up the turbo flanges for him, got everything done. Then he wanted the body work done on the car, so we took it in my garage, and over the course of like the week or whatever, we got it all ready so we could spray it on the weekend, and I filled in some little little spots here and there that I couldn't, you know, 
get out with, filled it with a little bit of Bondo, finished it and said, Hey dude, I ran out of 220 or whatever it was. We we're standing with 120. Oh, that's no problem. And I said, are you serious? That's going to be a problem. Oh no, it's not kind of an impatient guy. Um, not really worried about the outcome of stuff back then. Probably nowadays takes a heck of a lot more uh, care with stuff. But the thing is, you stand with heavy sandpaper and don't finish it with finishing paper. You're going to see marks. And lo and behold, his car is very smooth and very beautiful. But when I see this one part above his A-pillar on the driver's side, I can see the scratches down there in the paint. I mean, they're not scratches in the paint. I'm just... That was totally incorrect. There's scratches in the base layers. You know what I mean? And we went over it with clear coat and everything, and it looks a totally pro job because our painter did it, and he did a perfect job of it. And it feels glass smooth, and it was color sanded and buffed and everything. These scratches are below the clear coat in the finish, and it's because it was in too impatient to wait for the next day for me to go get some more sandpaper. Just wanted to finish it off, said, don't worry about it. It looks fine to me. So that's the other thing. What looks fine to your eye will not look fine when there's paint on it. And when there's something glassy, glossy on it, it'll look like a shiny bag of marbles. And trust me, I tried to do a lot of body work on some old Volkswagens that I, I used to own about 25 old Volkswagens, actually three, um, which is not as quite as many as 25, but it's still a lot. And the one that I really uh, took and painted up real nice kind of looked like a shiny bag of marbles because I was trying to sand around the curve of the fender and I used a DA instead of a block and like it nick or took it down a little bit lower and I couldn't see it with my naked eye and it felt good. But once I painted it, oh, there's no going back once you paint it unless you're willing to paint the whole thing over again, right? Because you got to blend panels and this and that. Fortunately for us motorcycle people, motorcycles are have a lot less body work. And, but still stripping and painting and re-sanding and re-prepping and refinishing, especially if, it's gra- if there's graphics or something that you're putting into it, that would suck to have to go back and redo the whole thing because you didn't uh, catch it right or you sanded it weird or something like that. So that's my third tip is don't use your eyes. Use your hands. Rub your hands over it. If you feel something, if it feels rough, but it looks smooth, that could happen too. I've seen that happen on a, on a car before. Luckily, no, not on a motorcycle. Felt smooth no no looked super smooth felt a little rough in one spot and when paint went on it that part had a little like porous holes and it just it looked dull it didn't have a gloss finish i can't tell you why i don't know why i'm not i'm not a painter but uh, i did notice that there's sometimes when you're going over stuff maybe it wasn't clean and maybe the paint reacted differently because that's the other thing you really got to clean it well after you sand it you got to Wipe it down with some uh, special like wipes, you know, like alcohol or thinner or something like that. These the painters at when I used to work at a body shop always cleaning and prepping and getting. I mean, that was the that was the suckiest part was prepping stuff. And when I had to return a part or something, and I had to prep it to return it, we had to they maybe they already cut it in or something, and then like the insurance company decided they wanted to do like a different, you know, go 
LKQ or go aftermarket instead of OE and it was already cut in. Well, we had to spray paint it black again and goddamn going in there and getting that stuff cut back, you know, put back to the black eco sucked. And, um, prepping was just like the crappiest job ever. And there, that's why there was one painter and like five paint assistants because prepping man, prepping. So yeah. <clears throat> so the first, what I say, the first thing was, uh, I don't even remember what the first thing I said was, but the second thing was sanding for sure. Oh yeah. The first thing was don't sand with your hand, man. Use a tool, use the right tool. Maybe a DA is not the right tool because the A's can get out of hand. Any any electric sander can get out of hand if you don't know what you're doing with it, but especially DAs because they spin around until you have them engaged. So those things can get pretty nuts. Don't ever use a buffing wheel or a grinding wheel to try and sand with. You'll regret yourself. You'll regret having made that decision. You'll regret being born if you are, are serious about this paint job. Number two, the way you the way you sand, it's got to be cross hatch. Number three, work from a really high you know high number sand. The higher the number of sandpaper, the finer it is. So I wouldn't start out with anything more than thirty six if you're really trying to get through some old crappy paint. But I mean, two twenty that's pretty fine. But that's even not enough. Two twenty, three twenty. Um, you know, even go down to 1000 on, on certain parts. If you're trying to get them that glossy smooth and especially between layers of colors, you can hit 1000, do a wet sand with it and, and get it ready for the next level. So yeah, just pay attention to that, that prep. And, uh, also don't trust your eyes, trust your hand, run your hand over stuff. You're, you'll feel bumps that you can't even see. You'll feel low spots and high spots. Um, you'll feel rough. Uh, like I said, those panels that I, saw that looks smooth you run your finger over them and you can feel it feels like a shark skin all of a sudden it's just not smooth anymore it feels like you're running your hand over really fine sandpaper and it's just impurities maybe in the middle where the primer was etching in or whatever but yeah you got to be conscious of all this crap and that's why if you're doing like a custom paint job or something or you're trying to do some really cool custom stuff and you take it to a painter and they paint and it's a a lot of money for what you want to do. It's probably worth it because painting is no joke. So that's my DIY tech tip for this week. A little bit on prepping. And if you are a prepper, if you're like a painter's assistant, man, my heart goes out to you because I know how much that stuff sucks. That's the worst part of painting is prepping. And it's like, like I said, somewhere between like 90, 99% of the actual painting processes good prep and good prep makes all the difference all right let's get out of here it's an hour and a half good afternoon listeners this is dr k and on behalf of creative radio i like to do the sorry list first of all i'd like to say sorry to tama iowa the oxford dictionary forever being published inazuma hipsters the cb750 bitches welsh Scottish, Irish English, HD, Marie Antoinette, Corn Lobby, Fireblade, and lastly, Hayabusa. Whatever the hell that was for. Oh, yes. Also, a big sorry to Honda, Tom, Fred, Michelle, Chris, Jason, Amistad, and towns. Looks like that's all. 
And remember, folks, keep your earrings above the fearings. Oh, uh, old Gleps Block Blurly is going to get out of here and leave you all with this little chestnut. And I intentionally, or not intentionally, I had, God damn it, what's the word for intentionally? I wanted to uh, give, you know, an opportunity for bikers to San Antonio. All we got is Pace Picante. Oops, I don't know if I can say that on here. And I think uh, we all got a <laughs> we got a salsa out here. Let's just put it that way that they don't make in New York City. It's been a lot of things. I've read the original Beowulf. At any rate, let's get into this show. One of the first things I wanted to talk about was, uh, well, this can be read outtake in Old English. And if you think about the angles coming, you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, from one reason that, um, like the Danes and the angles and all that stuff, what is that even, what the hell am I even talking about? God damn it. 